Hey everybody, I'm Logan Camden. I'm Carson Brabber. And this is Nerd Session. No! Oh my God, how could he do that? Are you on Donate? What? Charles Darwin. Welcome everybody back into Nerd Session where we finally have some live sports to talk about, which I think is pretty fantastic considering all that the world of sports has been through as of late. And today we're going to do just that. We're going to look at five guys each who have really impressed us in the NBA bubble thus far, guys who have overperformed our expectations and been exciting to watch thus far. So, Logan, I'm going to throw it over to you. Who's your first guy? Uh, The first guy I'm going to talk about is a man they call Cheese, Mm. uh, Chris Chioza. And – the only reason I want to talk about Chris Chioza, nothing – if you go to his basketball reference page, nothing will jump off the page at you four points, uh, you know, two boards, two and a half assists this season. But he makes my list for his 14.6 assist performance against the Wizards, and I know Washington is completely inept defensively, but mm-hmm. Chioza was making some tremendous layups through contact and showed some really nice ability to get into the lane, make tough passes to set up shots on the perimeter, and then he was crafty enough to score on some larger opponents. Uh, that being said, we here at Nerd Session do not do selective stat keeping. Against a decent defense uh, in the Orlando Magic, Chioza shot one of six from the field, and he kind of stunk up the floor. But Chioza showed me against the Wizards, I think he's smart enough and crafty enough to get minutes on a team. I don't know what his role moving forward with Brooklyn will be, but I think in the bubble, the ball is going to be there with Kyrie and KD out. There's going to be opportunities for Chioza to get on the floor and potentially prove that he deserves a role on a NBA team moving forward. I like him. I liked him at Florida. I think that outside of his size, that's probably his one downfall because mm-hmm. Chios is only 5'11". But ability-wise, I like his touch around the rim and how smart of a basketball player he is. Yeah, no. And this is an interesting opportunity for all of these guys in the Brooklyn-Washington-type situations where – All your best players basically are gone. So it's about seeing who establishes himself, who has the mentality to go out there and get it. And I do like a lot of what Chioza brings to the table. He's really quick. He's got a quick first step. As you mentioned, he has the craft around the rim. He's, you know, was not unfamiliar with running an offense considering he did it at a pretty high level at Florida. And he has some of that little man dog in him. He, he competes, he makes crafty, sneaky plays and, I don't know how he fits in as a rotation piece long-term for this team, as you mentioned, but I do think that he's proven at the very least that he's an NBA player, which, you know, I mean, he hasn't played very many minutes at all throughout his career thus far. He only played seven games last year and has only played in 23 games this year and has kind of bounced around and hasn't found a home yet. So is the ceiling all that high for him at almost 25 at, you know, 5'11 and feels like a short 5'11". I don't know, but he can shoot the ball. (laughs) He can get his shot off pretty impressively well. He can facilitate for others, and he competes on both ends. So I agree. You know, I think that he's the kind of guy who it's been fun to see get the opportunity to go out there and have a game where you have 14 and 6 because, you know, under normal circumstances, even if Chioza plays a really good game, he's just not going to get enough minutes and he's not going to get enough touches for that kind of a stat line. So that's one of my – favorite things about watching the Nets and the Wizards in the bubble because you have to pick something to enjoy when all their best players are out and the quality of basketball isn't great but that is it it's these you know these relatively unheralded guys stepping up and performing my first guy is a much bigger name and he's probably my most obvious selection on this list but I just had to give Yusuf Nurkic a shout out because 
he has been nothing short of remarkable. And what's important to consider here is that this man had missed 16 months with a brutal broken leg injury. And in his first two games back, after already looking really impressive in the scrimmages, averaged 24-9-5 with two steals and three and a half blocks a game on 55% shooting. He's even been willing to get out to the perimeter and shoot a couple threes a game. He's only made one of four, I think, but that floor spacing potential with him and Zach Collins playing out there together is crucial. And Collins is the primary floor spacer in those lineups, but it never hurts to have, you know, the versatility of multiple guys getting out there. So you just become less predictable because outside of shooting, he does everything on the floor so well. He is a vital offensive cog out of the post for them as a scorer and as a passer, as the kind of guy who they can just run dribble handoffs around and they don't run all that much pick and roll with him. But, you know, I mean, Dame runs a bunch of pick and roll and Nurkic is not a bad option at all to have there, even if he prefers to operate out of the post, I would say for the most part. And he can shoot the mid-range jumper. He gives you defensive playmaking. He's got quick, active hands on that end, and he's a good rim protector. So he's just the kind of guy who really, truly impacts all facets, of, all facets of the game. He eats up rebounds. He sets up others to score. And in these past couple of games, he has just been backing dudes down and getting buckets himself, which he's a really special player when he does that. And it's a legitimate big three in Portland when he plays like this. And that's how they were able to make the Western Conference Finals last year because he was so great. He had such a huge impact on winning. He had a ridiculous last year, plus 13 on off splits, which I've said before is, you know, that's Giannis LeBron level. No one else touches that. So he's a really interesting player. He's a really fun player. He's playing career high minutes right now because he's always had, you know, he's only played like 27 minutes a game, even when he's been at his heaviest workloads in the past. So I'm just really excited to see him. And I hope that Portland, even despite their grueling schedule, finds a way into the playing game because I think they are by far the best of the non-playoff teams right now. And Nurkic is a huge reason for that. Yeah, I agree. He makes he makes Portland's offense move so much smoother, and it doesn't take a genius to put that together. Uh, he mm -hmm. obviously, again, he takes away the white side minutes and mm -hmm. is looking to make those extra passes. Yeah. Carson, I got a question for you. Nurkic okay. was on Denver uh, a little while ago. If Denver had been able to hold on to Nurkic and Jokic, how dangerous would that offense look? That would be really fascinating. My concern with it would be though. One of them has to become a really good perimeter shooter at, at that point because it's tough to play two dudes who have – I mean, Jokic has a skill set like no one else, but they're both those kind of high-post, unselfish playmakers who can also score. Jokic is completely different because he can also run point and whatnot. But I think that we would have to see more Jokic shooting threes just for spacing sake, which I don't know if that would be the best thing for them. But, I mean, it would be fun. It would be a kind of twin towers that – you really don't see it kind of like Sabonis, you know, Nurkic has some Sabonis in him. And then Jokic is just a whole different level of greatest big man pass we've ever seen who can do everything. So that would be fascinating. Um, and, but at the end of the day, I don't think it's the worst thing that it didn't happen because they would be difficult to play together. But nonetheless, I mean, Nurkic was a steal at 16 in the draft and he has gotten better every single year. And then when he got to Portland, he really took a jump. Last year, he took another jump, and right now, he looks the best he's ever looked, which, again, is insane coming off of a brutal injury like he's coming off of, and he's just so important. You know, you already have two of the best perimeter shot makers in the league. Now you have that legitimate presence down low who doesn't only get his, but also who helps everyone around him get better. And I love Nurkic, and it's been a joy to watch him. So 
Let's move on, Logan. Who is your second guy? Uh, while we're on Portland, I'll bring up Gary Trent Jr. And I don't know how anyone hasn't been impressed by Trent so far. He's mm -hmm. shown the ability to light it up in the regular season and in the bo both of the bubble games from Portland so far. Mm -hmm. uh, 21 points and 17 points on 4 of 5 and 7 of 11 shooting from deep against the Grizzlies and Celtics. Uh, in, in my opinion, Trent has the ability moving forward to be an elite marksman and the potential to be around the league for a long time. Obviously, in the league nowadays, if you can shoot the ball, you will hang around. And mm -hmm. Gary Trent just has the ability to get buckets. You can't yeah. teach that. And it's a valuable commodity in today's high-scoring, high, fast-paced game. Gary Trent Jr. is a weapon. Yeah. Now, Gary Trent Jr. is a really high-quality player. And he's also a guy who competes hard defensively. Is feisty there, is smart there, and there is a reason that as the season has progressed, Anthony Simons, who a lot of people saw as the more intriguing offensive upside bucket-getting prospect, including myself early in the season, his minutes have started to fade as you see that he just doesn't quite impact winning in the same way as Trent, who gives you that two-way ability, is a fluid scorer, can knock down from mid-range, and is a guy who... I really started to get excited by late in the season because he really started coming on. He had some big scoring performances. If you look at Trent's production, starting with January 18th, that's 25 games now. He's averaging 13 a game on 47% from the field and 43% from three. He's been a really legitimate, valuable piece for them. And he's the kind of guy who earlier was compensating for some losses of quality players who they had and now is just another guy that they get to integrate in and another reason that I would say on paper their roster is better than last year's team that made the Western Conference Finals and I thought they massively overachieved last year one of my bold takes before this year was that the Blazers would miss the playoffs and because of the Nurkic absence more than anything but now that they have Nurkic back that is a dangerous team and I think everyone wants to see them in the playoffs so I'll move on to my second guy who is from the same draft as Gary Trent and was taken just a few picks before. And that's Aaron Holiday, who is also from an NBA family, actually, because Gary Trent's dad played as well. Uh, just trying to find some weird connections between the two of them. But Aaron Holiday has been a guy who I've liked for a long time. And he's really stepped up in the bubble. If you look at the Pacers' first game, which they miraculously managed to win on the back of a certain TJ Warren against the Sixers without Malcolm Brogdon and DeMontis Sabonis, who have been far and away their two best players this year, Holiday really was able to take over in that point guard role, and he showed consistent creation off the dribble. He was just really crafty, getting defenders on his back, keeping his options open there where he can hit the floater, he can get to the rim, or obviously he can drive and kick. And he had 10 assists in that game for good reason. Part of that was <laughs> some of them were literally just throwing the ball to TJ Warren and letting him get a bucket, but he was also scoring consistently. And he's averaging 16 and six through these two games on 54 and a half percent shooting. He's been plus 17 as far as plus minus in each game. He always competes defensively. If you look at how he played versus the Wizards, it was interesting to see how he adjusted because versus the Sixers, he was sort of temporarily in that point guard running the offense role which I think it'd be interesting to see how he does in that long term. But when you're playing alongside Malcolm Brogdon, who's a borderline all-star level uh, point guard in the East, you're just not going to get those kind of opportunities much. But against the Wizards, he was much more off ball. He was making quick decisions. He was getting to his floaters. He was, you know, finishing creatively. Great touch from him. So I've just thought he's played two really good games. And I think he's a valuable piece for the Pacers and a guy who has continued to improve, has always had a solid two-way combo guard skill set. And, you know, I just love, 
I, I love the entire Pacers bench unit. I love everyone from TJ McConnell to Doug McDermott. They've just performed at a high level this entire year. And Holiday, to me, is the best of all of them. And he's shown why thus far in the bubble. And this isn't something that was uncharacteristic for Holiday during the regular season either. I mean, he was getting consistent double-digit uh, point performances. Mm-hmm. Although, as you said, the uh, backcourt was a little clogged with Brogdon and then Oladipo coming back. Mm-hmm. But Indiana has a really good backcourt going forward. And they're young. They're talented. As you said, all the Holiday boys can play defense. Aaron is no different. Mm-hmm. I think Indiana is has scary potential moving forward with all the dynamic guard play that they have on their roster yeah and also you know just looking at their guard rotation tj mcconnell to me is one of the best backup point guards in basketball because he is so incredible as a facilitator and he has such great control of the game and him and holiday are able to play together that's another testament to holiday's ability it's the same thing he showed with the in the sixers game he can be a lead guard and a primary facilitator in the wizards game he can be an off-ball weapon. The guy can just do it all, and his versatility will be a great asset for him, a lot like his brother, Drew, who is a really valuable combo guard who can do it all. Holiday's a better – Aaron is a better pure shooter of the basketball, and, you know, there's upside there. So I'm interested in seeing how good he ends up getting at, I think, just 21 years old now. So let's move on, Logan. Who is the third guy who impressed you? Carson, this guy's been impressing me for a while now, and – I watched some of his highlights from these past few games. It's it's an obvious guy. It's Chris Middleton. Mm. And the reason that I picked Chris Middleton here is because I think that Middleton, I genuinely believe, I know the Bucks had their shooting woes obviously last season. We saw how much, how dependent you needed to be on the three ball to win games and how Giannis, his capabilities were obviously capped off with his non three point shooting ability. Mm-hmm. Middleton makes them legit. And, the way that anyone can run up to the three-point line, set a screen for him, and he just pulls the trigger and yeah. can bang a three, that right there shows me that Middleton is a guy I want to go to in the clutch. Mm-hmm. 18 points, five boards, and eight assists against Boston. He only shot two and nine from deep, but uh, he had five boards and eight assists. 27 and 12 against Houston. He was three of eight from behind the arc. Like I said, in closing minutes or game-winning scenarios, I'm comfortable with Middleton getting the rock. And now, Carson, I want you to tell me if I'm out of pocket for this take right here. Okay. I think Chris Middleton is Clay Thompson like. Hmm. I think that they're pretty different, in my opinion. There are certain ways in which Middleton is a lot better when you're talking about getting your own shot off the dribble. I'm talking about shooting the, just shooting the pill. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, uh, Middleton can shoot the hell out of the ball. Clay, to me, it's tough to compare anyone to him just because. He's such a catch-and-shoot weapon, and he can shoot with his feet in any which direction. Like, the dude is just a, a freak. But Middleton is a legitimate number two. And I think the key point that you brought up is the closing ability because that's always been the question for me. Giannis just is not as good in the last few minutes of a game when things tighten up and slow down and defenses are fully locked in because he can't dominate in transition. And we saw it against the Rockets. Mm-hmm. He had a miserable possession where he just leaped midair and threw the ball away to no one. And then guess who they went to on the last possession? They went to Middleton, who got a somewhat difficult look from three, but I really thought it was going in because he is that kind of a gamer. He makes big shots. We saw it in his seven-game series against Boston a couple years ago when he went completely berserk, hit some ridiculous shots, and was averaging like 30 a game on 50-something percent shooting from three. 
The dude is a bucket. He has that playmaking ability as well. As you mentioned, eight assists in the first game, four assists in the second game. He can get you a rebound. He can play high-level defense. I think that sometimes people look at him in a vacuum. If you're talking about big-time analytics people, like I've seen conversations about, is he a borderline top 10 player in the league? And you just have to look at the skill set to tell you that he's not at that level. I'm not sure I would take him in my top 25, if I'm being honest. But he's a huge impact player as far as winning right now. And he is a cut above every other Milwaukee player offensively. Obviously, Bledsoe is a great two-way player. But Middleton is really high-level impact, incredibly elite offensive player. And he's on the verge of a 50-40-90 season while averaging 21-6-4. That's volume and efficiency that we just almost never see. Do you think that Middleton then benefits greatly from having – I mean, everyone benefits from having Giannis on their team. Do you think Middleton Mm -hmm. is a little more extra then? I think what it is is people look to the Bucs and see them as one of the historically dominant regular season teams, and they sort of have to rationalize, well, it can't just be Giannis because it's not just Giannis. They have an incredible team, and obviously their most Mm -hmm. valuable asset is the fact that they have maybe the best team defense in a decade. Their, de- their defense is ridiculous right now. It is suffocating. And Middleton is just a part of that entire machine that makes that possible. So I think he's great, but I don't think just because he's an uber-efficient guy who plays alongside, who plays on a really incredible team, I don't think that that necessarily means that he's one of the NBA's elite. But is he a deserving all-star and a guy who impacts winning and who I trust to make big shots late? He definitely is. So... He's, he's been impressive, and he's really just, you know, the way that he has held up as a legitimate number two on a great team, considering he started as a G-leaguer and a second-round pick, it's been an incredible arc for him, and it's been really great to see him consistently improve. And the man can shoot the ball, no doubt about that. My third guy is someone similar in a way to what we were talking about earlier with the Wizards and Nets opening up opportunities because you took Chris Gioza from the Nets side. I'm going to talk about Troy Brown Jr. from the Wizards side. And I think a lot of people, if you're looking at guys who have really impressed uh, from the Wizards, might think of Thomas Bryant because he had a 30-piece and then he just scored 20-plus in last game. I predicted that Rui Hachimura would average 20-plus a game. And after one game, I felt good about that because he had 21. And then he's had nine apiece in each of the last two. But I have really liked what I've seen from Troy Brown Jr., who I've always seen as a Swiss Army Knife kind of guy. And I liked him enough coming out of the draft. My concern has just been he's not a consistent jump shooter off the dribble, and he doesn't excel enough at any one thing that I could really just see him being an Evan Turner. And Evan Turner has had his moments in the NBA where he's been a quality rotation player on good teams, but he's just kind of awkward wherever he goes. And Troy Brown Jr. has shown the ability to hit the three in the bubble thus far. He's been running the offense in stretches without – Bradley Beal and without any true traditional point guard out there averaging basically 16, six and six through two games on 46% shooting from the field. He's made three threes, which is not bad for him. And he's made some really high level plays. Now, part of it is opportunity. Of course, the fact that he gets to run the offense for entire games, but this man has made a lot of difficult floaters. He's made some great reads out of the pick and roll. He's made smart, unselfish plays in transition Just seeing him confident from three is always promising. He had a step back two. He's really good off ball, which is another thing about him that is just going to make him a kind of guy that you can play in any number of lineups. You can have him running as your de facto point guard, or you can have him 
running as your two or your three because defensively you can put him at any of those positions. He's got that 6'10 wingspan. He's athletic there. He makes a huge number of smart basketball plays on both ends. And by wizard standards, you know, he plays very good defense. Now they have a culture in which you just <laughs> run and gun, but I completely believe that he can be a high level defender when they or anyone else who has him on their team is, are trying to play high level basketball. And even though he hasn't been tremendously efficient because, you know, it's obviously a high vol, It's a high usage rate for him considering he's Troy Brown jr. And now he's sort of running the wizards offense, even his misses. If you look at his mid range pull-ups, He's getting good looks. He's getting to his spots. He's made some, again, really impressive passes and reads. And I've been excited about what I've seen from him because if you look at what this roster is assembled now, next year if John Wall is any semblance of himself and if he doesn't somehow expect himself to be better than Bradley Beal and if he's willing to be a pass-first point who can penetrate defenses and then also lock up at a pretty high level on the other end and you put that alongside a developing two-way presence like Hashimura, if he develops a little bit of more of a three. Davis Bertans, one of the most unique offensive weapons in basketball. Then a guy like Troy Brown Jr., who, again, that Swiss Army knife, who can maybe run your second unit in stretches. And if he can start hitting threes off the dribble, that could be a problem. Uh, Thomas Bryan is really gifted offensively. So the Wizards, I can kind of see them going from being coming into this year maybe the worst roster in basketball to being a playoff team again next year. And it's not just because of John Wall at all. Cause I don't know what John Wall is going to be. It kind of scares me, especially considering we haven't seen the guy in eight years, but there's potential there. I think Carson, I want to give you a round of applause. Uh, the Thank you. Evan I always Turner comp, that. The Evan Turner comp is one of the best I've ever heard. Thank you. Uh, I mean, size wise, ability wise, because mm-hmm. Turner's a good playmaker too. And mm-hmm. I don't think Troy Brown is Evan Turner level defensively yet because Turner mm. kind of came out of Ohio State, uh, you know, really knowing how to play defense and not yeah. doing much else. I would also turn to, as you're talking about Washington, I might bring up Jerome Robinson. I mean, Jerome yeah. Robinson, I didn't even know was on the floor for Washington. I'm catching uh, some of the recap from uh, the Suns game and the Pacers game, mm-hmm. and I'm going, who is this? And then I see yeah. it's Jerome Robinson. I didn't even know he was on the Wizards. And he's getting, obviously, again, opportunity is a big Mm -hmm. thing here in the bubble, which is Mm -hmm. why we have time to talk about guys like Troy Brown, Jerome Robinson, and Chris Chioza. Uh, But 20 points, 12 points, and 17-point performances against the Suns, Nets, and Pacers for him Mm -hmm. so far. This, Like you said, this Washington team is young and has a lot of potential moving forward. I'm I'm really excited. I get excited watching – the Wizards and Nets play just because I don't know who's on the floor. Yeah. Well, and just to touch on the Jerome Robinson point, he's one of the more fascinating lottery picks in recent memory because no one expected him to go in the lottery. Then he did. Then he didn't play for the Clippers. Then he was traded in his second year. And now in this incredibly unique whirlwind of circumstances, he has the opportunity to take 17, 18 shots a game. And he hasn't been the most efficient with his opportunities, but for a guy who an NBA franchise believed in enough to take 13th overall, getting these opportunities, getting these looks, that's valuable. And it's a test to, you know, maybe the trajectory of the rest of his career. So uh, the Wizards are interesting. And Troy Brown Jr. to me has been probably the most impressive of the bunch out of all these guys who have had to step up without their like 50 points per game combined between Davis Bertans and Bradley Beal. Not quite, more like 46, I think. But Let's move on, Logan. Who is your fourth guy? 
the next guy up here is OG Ananobi, and mm. it's mainly for his performance against the Lakers, putting up 23 points. Uh, OG plays great defense. He plays. I don't even I don't even know if it's as much as I like OG and Anobi as I like the Raptors and what OG can do because even a guy like Fred Van Vliet, the Raptors' fundamental problem, in my opinion, is they need every game the Raptors need someone to take over offensively. And OG and Anobi has shown time and time again that he has capability to just turn it on for a game or two. And we saw against the Lakers 23 points, three of three from behind the arc. He's a decent spot up shooter. I think this Raptors offense works smooth with Van Vliet, with OG Ananobi, and I just like his ability to be able to turn it on offensively and give me stout defense every single game. I think the Raptors are still, even after into the bubble, they're a team that close, they close gaps fast. I mm-hmm. think the Raptors are still a dangerous team out of the East and could make another potential finals appearance, in my opinion. Yeah, they look spectacular right now. And the defensive end is the key to me because OG comes and goes offensively. He had a great offensive game against the Lakers. Then he had a pretty rough one (laughs) against the Heat. But the thing with him is that defense is constant. He is one of the best one-on-one perimeter defenders in basketball and also versatile because it's not just from the perimeter. He is one of the few wings that a guy like LeBron cannot just bully out of the post. He is so strong in his legs and you just can't move him. And then he takes the ball from people. And offensively, he's the kind of guy who, yes, has some spot up shooting ability, but more than anything, just gets to his spots in a sort of Kawhi like kind of way where he can shoot over people. He's powerful on straight line drives. And when he's locked in, if he can give you 20 offensively, especially on eight for nine shooting like he did against the Lakers. That's an invaluable player. And I think he's going to be really important to this Raptors run because obviously they didn't have him last year due to injury, but that was a completely different player. Everyone has always loved OG. He was an incredible value pick at 23 or 24 whenever he got taken. But now we are seeing him really play out as a high level starter on a contender and I love seeing it. The man is a two-way beast. He's a hound, and he is just another reason why this Raptors team is so, so good. I'm beginning to think that the Raptors don't even – it's not who they draft. It's just how can they how can they build them. I don't get how you can yeah. get guys like Siakam and Ananobi so late and develop them so well so quickly. The Raptors well, are a great organization. And I mean, if you look at their undrafted development, Fred Van Fleet and Terrence Davis were both undrafted. There are certain organizations, the Spurs used to be like this, the Heat and the Raptors are like this now, where they get players in their system and they maximize their potential almost every time. And it's been incredible to see OG is an example of that. But I think there are even more impressive examples within the Raptors organization of guys who were, you know, more unheralded and more raw and they've just turned them into beasts. Nick Nurse and that entire organization and Masai Ujiri and their entire player development staff, they're just outstanding. And they are turning into one of the best franchises in basketball right now. And I love it because I can't think of very many more compelling things than the Raptors making it back to the finals after losing this all-time level force like Kawhi was last year, averaging 30-8 and in the playoffs and just carrying them. And I really think that that is on the table right now. So my fourth guy is Ricky Rubio, who 
has had a really interesting two-game stretch, and it's been impressive, but I kind of just want to talk about it because it's been a different version of Rubio from what we normally see. He's averaging 17.5, 5-8 through two games. Obviously, 17.5 points per game is a really high number for Ricky Rubio. Shooting three of six from three. And if you look at the two games that he's played versus the Wizards, he had a really great performance. He came out with like 15 and nine. He was consistently penetrating, getting to the line, drawing fouls. And then if not, he was making great passes. He was either dumping down to a big man right by him or he was kicking out to a shooter. And that was the kind of Rubio offense that I'm more traditionally I'm used to. He can always, you know, make that extra pass and he can set others up without even penetrating. But when he's at his best, and he can really disrupt a defense and then also make those ridiculous passes. That's kind of what the Wizards game looked like. And then against the Mavs, it was really fascinating mm-hmm. because they led this comeback without DeAndre Ayton and Devin Booker on the floor, who were both in huge foul trouble. And if you look at Ayton was minus six plus minus on the game, Booker was minus eight, whereas Rubio was plus 12. And he was the primary facilitator in that stretch when they led that comeback. And He always has, you know, the incredible fakes and just these ridiculous passes and general deceptiveness that make him so special. But he took a lot of jump shots in that game, a lot of mid-range jump shots, a few threes, and he missed a lot of them. And I'm not sure that they were the best shots, which is part of why, you know, he just more interested me than anything. But it was just really interesting to see Ricky Rubio turn that gear and try to take over. And then defensively, he's always pretty darn good on that end. He drew a huge charge late on Luca. He drew another offensive foul earlier in the game. It's the jump shooting to me was weird, but it was interesting because I kind of like seeing an alpha Ricky Rubio. We've never seen the kind of Ricky Rubio who's like, okay, I'm going to go out and get a bucket. And when they took their three best offensive scoring options off the floor, when you consider the fact that Kelly Oubre is also out, it was he was the guy who was willing to go out there and try to take shots that he's normally not comfortable with, which to me was just interesting. And they were able to win that game somehow on the back of his leadership and his facilitation, but also his scoring and then also his defense. So I thought he played a couple of really good all around games in a way that we don't always see from him. Yeah. And the, I got to give credit to the spot up shooting of the Suns. Uh, guys like Sarich and Cam Johnson looked mm-hmm. really well uh, feeding off of Rubio. Mm-hmm. Uh, the 17 shots, Carson, are actually his third most field goals attempted this season. Yeah. Um, like you said, it just doesn't happen very often. I was rooting for the Mavericks just because I want to see Luca and Kristaps kind of run through, make a nice run, just mm-hmm. because I don't think the Suns are the Suns aren't as nearly talented as the Mavericks. They're not yeah. going to make as deep a run. But, yes, it was a different Rubio against the Mavs. And I had counted them out. Without Aiden, without Booker, with them in foul trouble, I completely mm-hmm. counted the Suns out. I said, Luca, you know, just close the door. And yeah. Rubio kept them in that ball game. It's a different – this is uh, – <laughs> it's the Rubio we thought we were getting, uh, what, like 10 years ago? Many years ago. Out, out yeah. of Spain. Yeah. And there were some strange possessions. I really can't overstate that. Like, if you look at, he tried to hit the dagger, and he was, he hit like this weird fading jump shot, which KP just blocked so easily. One of the big possessions where he got to the line, he took another just tough, like twisting mid-range jumper, and it looked like he got fouled, but he actually didn't get touched at all. He just kind of fell. But it was an effective performance, and they needed it from him, and he delivered. And the Suns, even though they're in a really difficult spot to make the playing game because they just started so far behind the pack, they're playing really good basketball right now. And they've picked up a couple 
quality wins. And I guess the Wizards aren't that much of a quality win. But beating the Mavs was really impressive, especially without Aiden and Booker out there. So let's move on, Logan. Who is your fifth impressive performer? So I'm cheating a little bit here with this one. Uh, But my fifth is the Memphis Grizzlies. And I'm not taking the Grizzlies because they've impressed me because obviously they have not won a game Mm -hmm. uh, in the bubble. It's the individual performances that I've seen from – uh, some young guys. Jaron mm-hmm. Jackson Jr. is stupid talented. I can't yeah. wait until next season when we can get another full year of mm-hmm. Jaron and Jaw. I think Dylan Brooks is a good spot-up shooter. I think that they may want to move him just because he's young. He has trade value. Also, I don't know where Justice Winslow fits into this when he gets healthy, but mm-hmm. the young talent, I'm the young talent in Memphis just excites me. Uh, Grayson Allen, even a guy that I yeah. abhor from his time at Duke and what mm-hmm. he uh, what he did to my uh, UVA Cavaliers in uh, in college. Either way, this team is extremely deep uh, with their age and how young they are. I just don't think that there's enough around Ja and Jaron right now to win in the bubble. But that doesn't matter because this Grizzlies team is obviously focused on next season. Uh, Jaron mm-hmm. put up against the Celtics. Jaron put up some really good numbers and did, Carson have you seen all the lobs that Ja yeah. and Jaron are throwing from mm-hmm. stupid lengths of the like half court yeah. and the three-point line it doesn't make any sense but Jaron's length and wingspan is it just doesn't make any sense they're such a fun duo to watch Nah, I mean it's to me brutal that the Grizzlies haven't won a game yet because I've watched the majority of all three of their games and They've played some really good basketball. You know, they led that comeback when they were – no one was playing well for them early against the Blazers. Jaw was really struggling, and they managed to fight their way back into that game to where they probably should have won it in regulation if Melo doesn't hit some big shots for the Blazers. And, you know, the Blazers have shot makers, so that's going to happen. But you mentioned Grayson Allen. He had five threes in the first half yesterday. He had 15 in the game before that as well. Triple J has been unbelievable shooting the ball. And then, you know, he's always weird. He's always in foul trouble, of course. And although actually one of these games, I think he only had like two fouls, which for him is genuinely impressive to play legitimate minutes and not draw four or five fouls because the man is just a foul machine. But he can shoot the hell out of the ball. And Jaw is, he shows at times that kind of veteran leadership that you just don't see from rookie point guards. And he continues to be, exceptional and different from just about every other rookie point guard we've ever seen. And I love Dylan Brooks. You know, he's not a guy that I would want to move. I think he's a really quality piece and his ceiling isn't all that high. I think he probably is what he is, but I really like what he is right now. And then that's not even to mention Brandon Clark's had some great moments. He Mm -hmm. had a ridiculous, I don't remember which game this was in, but it was a big spot where he just, there was like a loose ball but it was above the rim and he was like four feet Mm -hmm. out and he just tipped it in. And it looked like anyone in their right mind would have grabbed the ball and come down with it. But the man is just a floater God. And he has such insane touch around the rim that he was like, might as well just put it up. So they're fun. They're exciting. And I really don't think that we should forget them because they are, I know they lost the Pelicans yesterday. I think that they're still a better team than the Pelicans and they're holding that eight seed for a good reason. And I just don't want to neglect the Grizzlies because what they're doing, considering how young their best players are, that's the craziest part of it. They don't play besides Valanciunas. I mean, all their guys are, 
what, like 23 or younger? That's insane. <laughs> Those teams don't make the playoffs. Look at the Hawks on the other end, who are this supposedly talented team as well, who are in the absolute cellar of the East. The Grizzlies have the same age demographics. So demographics isn't the right You know what's so whatever. funny to me about the bubble, though, Carson? Mm-hmm. We're, we're watching all of this basketball between – so many teams at the bottom of the West, and all it is is a ticket to get swept by the Lakers. Yeah. Well, the Blazers might win a game or two. <laughs> the Blazers, I can see taking a game. Maybe the Pelicans, if uh, Lonzo and Brandon Ingram or something get a little feisty, but yeah, uh, it's just a it's just a losing ticket to the Lakers. All this yeah. is. Well, it's true, but it's. I mean, it's even more true in the East. They might as well just drop the seven and eight seeds. Yeah. Because I mean, especially the Nets and. God knows why the Wizards are there. And the Wizards may end up going winless, as you, as you prophesized, which would be pretty It's very possible. It's very possible. The other thing, interesting thing with the West is you have so much seeding shaking up. Like, you know, now, the, now we have Rockets at four, Jazz at five, Thunder at six, which is different from what it was when we came in, where you had Jazz four, Thunder five, Rockets six. So I love the bubble. I'm so happy that we have basketball back. It's almost surreal at times how much fun it is. And I have to say – just to get sidetracked for one second before I give my fifth guy. And I kind of feel like I might have to do six because I want to shout out this guy that I sort of expected you to take. So I didn't put him on my um, main five. I, do you feel like the viewing experience is very different? I really don't mind not having any fans there. Oh, no, actually, I think the fans don't really, I think for the players, it's probably different. Obviously the atmosphere yeah. isn't the same, but no, I don't, think of it any differently i just watch no. i'm just watching basketball <laughs> i can i completely agree i don't feel like it's different at all and i know that there were people who thought it was going to be like a major factor in their enjoyment of the product and i don't feel that way at all the virtual fans actually make me feel a little bit more comfortable i'm not going to lie seeing the yeah uh, like if the suns were supposed to have a home game and seeing purple and uh, orange or something back there it makes mm-hmm. me i'm glad that they're doing that uh, in giving yeah. teams i guess a metaphorical sort of home field advantage yeah i mean shout out the nba for being incredibly innovative and resourceful in this time and making this possible yeah i mean they're it's unbelievable what they're doing right now okay to get back on topic my fifth guy is michael porter jr who exploded yesterday 37 points 12 rebounds versus the thunder and with will barton and gary harris and jamal murray all out they desperately needed every last bucket he gave them. And he wasn't, you know, huge at the end for them. It ended up kind of being Jokic takeover in overtime. And he was really bad defensively. MPJ has a long way to go defensively. He is stiff and just does not read and just really is not a high IQ player on that end. But if you look at how he got his 37, a lot of it was in that traditional MPJ style that we always see from him this year, where so many of his buckets are just off cuts and off offensive rebounds and just finding cracks in the defense down low. He did a bunch of that yesterday as well, but then he also shot the lights out. 12 of 16 from the field, four of six from three, nine of nine from the line with a plus 25 plus minus. And he wasn't quite as good versus the Heat, had just 11 on four of 11 shooting, but he still showed that shot creation and the willingness to go out there and try to get a bucket at the very least. So I don't know how he is incorporated into big minutes as the stakes continue to get higher for the Nuggets and as they continue to get healthier because, honestly, it's unbelievable that they beat the Thunder when you consider about when you consider how many vital guys they are missing right now. It's really impressive that they did that. And MPJ was a big reason, but I don't know 
when his scoring skill set is duplicative because there are other guys out there who can do it, who can do it probably better at this point, and then who are also so much better defensively. I don't know if he's going to get very many minutes at all, but we saw some impressive stuff that is promising going forward. And at the very least, that man can shoot the hell out of the ball. And it was really fun to see that yesterday when it really mattered from him. Yeah, I think we may see some Jeremy Grant minutes uh, cut into uh, MPJ, but scoring the basketball, I'm just glad that the Nuggets know that if you need points, might put, put MPJ on the floor. Put him out there. Yeah. If someone's did. not performing, he's a valuable asset. And mm-hmm. I'm glad that we're seeing Michael Porter Jr. fulfill some of that potential that we saw. You know, when we, when we had those concerns about his back and about he's silencing the haters. Good for MPJ. Yeah, and he still has a long way to go to put this together consistently and to be in a spot where they want to play him in big minutes because it's a little bit damning when Torrey Craig is consistently getting chosen over you to play big minutes, and it kind of makes sense. He's still, to me, I think he's still sort of recovering from just the general stiffness he has from his back, and maybe that gets better, maybe it doesn't, but it was really exciting. I have to give a six shout-out here because – TJ Warren was so much fun. Mm -hmm. The 53-point performance, following it up with a 34-point performance, that was great as well in two Pacers wins without, of course, DeMontis Sabonis and the first one without Malcolm Brogdon as well. But that 53-piece to take down the Sixers, which included the deep three dagger at the end and a big three right before then to get to 50, it was one of my favorite performances I've ever watched because the man only hit four free throws. So it was so many floaters and contested mid-range jumpers and pull-up, off-the-dribble, catch-and-shoot threes. He had nine threes in that game, which is just such an incredible evolution from a guy who in college didn't take the threes until last year in the pros didn't take the three. He's always just been a bucket getter on floaters and from mid-range. And, but this just unlocks him as another level of a weapon because – you know, the dude is a bucket, but when you can throw him off ball and then he can get you that many threes as well. And it's not, you know, this is obvious, right? TJ Warren's had a great season. He's averaging like 19 a game on a really good team and scoring has never been an issue for him. And he's also bared down a little bit more defensively this year and has just been a better all-around player than he was in Phoenix, for example. But the dude was unbelievable. He was lights out and he was unstoppable. And it was one of my favorite performances I've ever seen. The Suns have to be the dumbest organization in basketball. Yeah, it's tough. The trade was tough. I do think to defend them a little bit, he did not seem like a winning player in Phoenix. He was a ball stopper. He was a high-volume, high-usage guy who, until his last year there, did not want to shoot the three. So it was just generally not the most efficient offense. But with retrospect, I mean, even that, honestly, trading him for – Cash considerations was unwise, and Robert Sarver continues to impress. What was the – do you remember what his con, – what is his contract now? What was the hit on the Suns? It was not all that significant. He's making $10 million, he made $10.8 million this year. Ouch, which is, for an 18, 18 point per game score and a guy who shot nearly 43% from deep that year. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, that's a pretty good contract. I don't know. I, I think that things have gone okay for the Suns this year. They've made some significant strides, and I kind of like Ubre for them more than T.J. Warren, but T.J. Warren has found a lot of success in Indiana, and it's been fun to watch. And that was the kind of 
career performance that, you know, some guys go out there and get 50. You can watch Corey Brewer's 50-point game if you, if you want to just be in <laughs> awe that a dude scored 50. He's just, like, hectically running down the court and throwing up shots, and they keep going in. This was majestic from TJ Warren. It was like it was like the kind of 50-point game you expect from a KD-level scorer, which high praise, I know, but it was really outstanding. So that's going to do it for us here today. It's been so much fun to have basketball back and great to be talking about it with you, of course, Logan. And soon enough, we'll be back to doing a live show some way, somehow through Blaze Radio, and we don't know how that's going to happen yet, but when it does, we'll have live sports to talk about at least until basketball is done, and hopefully somehow football can figure out a way. So I've been Carson Brabber. I have been Logan Camden. And this was Nerds.